So, as Tom said, my name's Len, and as I was walking up these steps, I suddenly realised this is the first time I've ever been up here on my own. <laughs> and my next thought is, I hope it's not the last time. <laughs> so, um, I'm uh, one of the team that uh, works with Tom, and um, we're getting towards our end of Psalms. This is Psalm 119, and um, when I looked at it... It just went on and on and on. Um, there's 176 verses here, so I've timed it, and I reckon by about Tuesday, okay, cancel everything, we'll be done by Tuesday. Um, so I'm actually just going to look at five verses. Um, and I, first of all, I want to know who put my sermon online. Okay, everyone who came to the microphone this morning has pinched a bit from it, okay, including a whole passage from Ephesians 2. So, um, but there we go, that's God. Oh, so God, God just told me he did it, okay, I'll take it back. So, one of our six core values is the Word of God. We preach from the Word of God without fear and without favour, the difficult bits, the longest psalm in the whole Bible, the longest book in the whole Bible, we preach from it. It's one of our core values is the word. And so um, God inspired the writers of the New Testament to quote from Psalms more than 72 times. And um, when I was reading through it, uh, something hit me for the first time. I don't know if you've heard of um, the inkblot test, but in the 1920s, a, a Swiss psychiatrist came up with this diagnostic tool and you basically take a piece of paper and you put some paint on one side of it, you fold it in half and you open it again and then you ask the patient to look at it and to tell you what they see. Okay, so imagine that um, I knew a friendly psychiatrist. I'm going to call him Dr. Ayamide for, you know. <laughs> and, and supposing he's got these 10 ink blots and he's um, showing them to me. And I'm going, yeah, that's someone fishing. Yeah, that's someone fishing, someone fishing, someone fishing, someone fishing, someone fishing, someone fishing. And then the friendly psychiatrist might say, and this is my best uh, psychiatrist impersonation. Yes, Len, very interesting, Len, very interesting. Looks like you're very preoccupied with fishing. <laughs> and I might say... Well, stop showing me pictures of people fishing then. And when I was going through Psalms, it was just like, this is about Jesus. This is Jesus is here. This is about Jesus. And I don't mind being preoccupied with Jesus at all. And then the light bulb came on and I remembered what Jesus had said to his disciples. He said to them, I have come so that everything that is written about me in the law, so that's the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, can be fulfilled. So I shouldn't be surprised when I read through the Psalms, I'm thinking, it's about Jesus. It's Jesus here. It's Jesus here. Um, and let me show you what I mean. The first uh, verse we're going to look up is verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, 
who walk in the law of the Lord. Of the Lord. Now, I'm, I've been a lawyer for about 50 years, and I was fascinated to find that there are more than 21 references to the law in this psalm. But I haven't got time to go through them all. I feel your disappointment. Maybe I'll start a life group. 21 verses in the Psalms that everyone should know about that have to do with the law. But I I can't go through it now. But the one he's talking about here is the law of Moses. So blessed, he's saying, are those whose ways are blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, the problem with that is, so this is the first verse, okay, and I've already got a problem with it, okay? The problem with that is, that it says blessed, which means to experience great joy. It's the the word that Jesus used when he preached the Beatitudes. It's the, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, the Greek word in the New Testament. And it means a state of great joy. So we've got a greater state of joy. So I'm thinking to myself, I want some of that. Blessed are those who are blameless. The sense of disappointment, blameless. Now, I'm not speaking for you, obviously. I'm not blameless, okay? I'm not blameless. I'm not a blameless person. So how could the law of Moses from 15 centuries ago have any relevance to me and you in this church in Ipswich in 2023? Because surely... The whole point of the law is it brings us into bondage and slavery and guilt. What is the possible relevance of the law? How can we be blessed if we're blameless and walk in the law of the Lord? Because the law just tells us how bad we are. And it seems to produce sin and rebellion so how can it possibly be relevant? So that was, the, that was what I was struggling with. And then I remembered what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He said, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? And he says, no, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I wouldn't have known what it was to covet... If the Lord said, thou shalt not covet. Now, covet means to want something, to desire something that doesn't belong to you. So the law says, you you shouldn't do that. Now, the problem gets worse because when we think about Jesus, he just basically makes it a whole lot worse. Because what he says is, it's not a question of whether you actually do the coveting. It's about what you're thinking. Okay, so the the law reveals the sin. That's God's standard. And Jesus says, it's not even there. It's the thought that matters. So my current job is working for... Um, a national licensing exam that runs uh, exams for lawyers. So if you want to be a solicitor anywhere in, from anywhere in the world, you have to sit the exams that we write, which we set, 
and which we mark. And my job is to make sure that they're set to the right standard. Now, the standard is for the newly qualified solicitor. So that's the standard, and I have to make sure that they're written to that standard and they're marked to that standard. So if they're written to the standard of a judge and they're marked to the standard of a judge, no one's going to pass them. Now, you might have your own views as about whether there should be less lawyers in the world, but the point I'm trying to make is it's about the standard. And God's standard is nowhere near our standard. So we can't possibly pass, okay? And Jesus said, because Jesus had quite a lot of things to say about people who observe the law. Jesus said, it's more about attitude than it is about the action. So the law sets the standard, but crucially, it points to, and this is my best Usain Bolt impression, it points to Jesus. In Galatians, it says this, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now, for those of you that have had any involvement with the law, a guardian is someone that looks after you when you're not able to look after yourself. You might be too young, you might be too old. So the guardian, the law, was looking after us until Jesus came that we might be justified by faith. Okay? So the law was never intended to be a means of salvation. So this law, blessed are those who are blameless and walk in the way of the Lord. It was never meant to be a means of salvation. It was just looking after us until Jesus came. So this is why another of our core values, as well as the word of God, is the grace of God. We've been singing about the grace of God this morning. Uh, grace was mentioned in the prayer meeting. That's why I think someone's seen my sermon online. The grace of God, the unmerited goodness of God given to us in the form of Jesus, who died for our sins so that we might have eternal life despite all our trips and our stumbles and our mess-ups. Okay, so the law points us to Jesus and grace tells us that we're okay. We're more than okay. We are seated at the right hand of Jesus. So he's the one that looks after us when the law couldn't. The guardian has gone. Jesus is here. So I've mentioned two of our core values. We've got four more, and we've got one, two, we've got four sections of the church. You know what's going to happen now, don't you? So this side here, I've said word and grace. I want you to put up your hands if you can think of one of our core values that we haven't mentioned yet. And I'm asking you to put your hand up, so I don't want to give this lot a free go. Anyone, one of our core values... 
This could go terribly wrong. I appreciate that. Yeah. Alex, I'm going to ask Alex here. Just one of our core values. Word, grace, spirit. Well done, Alex. Spirit. Okay, this isn't going very well. So what about this group here? No elders on this group either. Word, yeah. Faith. It's, it's, that is a absolute value. It's not, I'm not going to do this anymore because it's not working. Okay, okay. And I don't want to embarrass myself. So we've got the word, grace, spirit, the church. And by the way, I'm mentioning these because I'm going to be covering all these uh, a bit later on. Prayer is one of our core values and diversity. And if you look around here, you can see we're a diverse church. So that's why grace is one of our core values. So we don't have to keep beating ourselves up all the time that we're getting it all wrong. Because the law is no longer our guardian. Jesus has arrived. We're in the grace situation. It's not about our actions. It's about our attitude. So we've looked at the idea that uh, the law of the Lord is superseded by the fact that Jesus has arrived. It also talks about blessed are those whose ways are blameless. And I've mentioned that um, what blessed means, it's a state of great joy. And I've mentioned that we've got to be blameless, but we can't possibly be blameless. It's a bit like saying... um, Blessed are those who can fly unaided to the moon. It's impossible. That's why we needed grace and we needed Jesus. So the next verse, again, talks about this blessed state. Verse 2, it says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So the, the first question is, are you seeking him? Are you seeking Jesus? Or are you just completely overwhelmed by all the things that you think you have to do to be worthy? That was then. This is now. So if you are seeking Jesus, I've got some really good news for you. He's seeking you as well. So it's a win-win situation. Jesus said... Ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. So I was quite interested that the very first thing that Steve said this morning was he started to talk about a door that was open. Knock, and the door will be open to you. That's Jesus talking. He said it. It's true. There are many people in this room who can say it's true. And so if you're seeking, you're not here by accident. So the other thing that you have to do to be blessed is not only to seek, but seek with your whole heart. One of my favorite quotes on this subject is by a Canadian pastor by the great name of Oswald J. Smith. And he said this, he said, 
at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Okay, our, our hearts are the problem. And the Bible has quite a lot to say about hearts. And one verse is in Ezekiel that says this. It says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's extremely good news. Okay, that's why we can have real confidence that Jesus is on the case. Because he was on the case back then, changing our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. There's um, uh, a very famous um, 18th century preacher who was born in uh, Colchester called um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he wrote this about the heart of stone issue. He said, No heart of stone will, was ever turned into flesh by accident. You might argue with a rock a long while before you'd persuade it into flesh. Neither will such a change happen by a man's own actions. How shall a stone, being a stone, produce itself flesh? A power from above the man must work upon him according to the language of the scriptures. Except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is the bit I really want to uh, hammer home. The spirit of God must change the nature or the heart of stone will never become a heart of flesh. So this is another of our core values the Spirit of God. Without the Spirit of God, our hearts of stone will never become hearts of flesh. You see, it's not a law thing. It's a heart thing. Get the heart sorted. The problem, at the heart of the human problem, is the problem of the human heart. Get the heart sorted, and only Jesus can do that. And you're in a much, much better Position Because it says in Romans 6, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. That's why grace is one of the key values in this church. Because grace is focused on our position. And Tommy's already read from Ephesians. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up and seated with him in heavenly places. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So word, spirit, grace. And then it goes on in verse 15 to talk about... I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when I was um, about 18, 19, um, uh, the Hare Krishna movement was a, a big deal in, in the UK. And I was coming back from holiday once. I was about 18, 19, sort of long hairs, um, 
yeah, long hair. I, I should have brought a photograph, shouldn't I? You don't believe me. Um, and, uh, you know, flared trousers and the hippie kind of thing. And there were these um, Hare Krishna people on the streets of London. And what I really noticed was they were giving out albums, vinyl. You know what vinyl is, don't you? Yeah. And um, so I took this thing home and I was just listening to it over and over again. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And I played the other side. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And I thought, it must be. It's a bit boring, to be honest. Um, and you're supposed to meditate whilst you're uh, listening to this, and you're supposed to empty your mind. And this isn't what this is talking about. This isn't the meditation of transcendental meditation and Eastern mysticism. This is focusing on what the Bible says and not on the wrong things, which is why, again, the Word of God is one of our key values. We don't just empty our minds and go into a state of transcendental meditation. We fill it with what is right and good. So my question is, what are you focusing on? What are you focusing your time on? Ask, seek, knock. That's what Jesus says. And it says, I will meditate on your precepts. Another legal word. Don't need to worry about it. It just means what God says should be done. And it says, and fix my eyes on your ways. Now this for me, when I was doing my preparation, was a bit of a roller coaster because just as I was thinking, wow, the law, what's the relevance of that? And I see how Jesus is the answer to the law. I'm suddenly thinking, hang on, how can I possibly fix my eyes on God's ways? Because what it says in... Uh, uh, Isaiah is that um, we can't possibly do that because his ways are higher than my ways. So how can I possibly do that? Well, fixing your eyes, I was thinking about this and I was thinking back not long ago to Wimbledon. Some of you might have watched Wimbledon. It doesn't matter. Any ball sport will do. When, when they slow it right down, you see the person absolutely focused on the ball. You know, from the moment it's left the other person's racket, they are completely and utterly focused on what that ball is doing. And that's the example here. Okay? A good player never takes their eye off the ball. And what this is saying is, don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't take your eyes off God because you will stumble and fall. And how is it possible then, if God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, how can we possibly understand what his ways are? Well, it's grace again, folks, because what we know is Jesus actually said... I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we want to know what we should be focusing our eyes on, we should be focusing our eyes upon Jesus. And we, we know this to be true because um, the Apostle Paul, before he was uh, the Apostle Paul... Uh, whilst he was still called Saul and whilst he was still 
uh, as the, the, it says in the New Testament, breathing out murderous thoughts against followers of the way. So even then, the followers of Jesus were called followers of the way because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus isn't just the Son of Man and the Son of God. Jesus is God. He is the way to God, not one of many ways. He is the only way to God. So where is your heart? What are you seeking? If you're seeking God, then you'll find him in the person of Jesus now, this morning. So we've looked at what it means to be blessed. We've looked at the differences between law and grace. We've looked at how hearts of stone could be turned into hearts of flesh. And I'm going to, if you're doing the, the uh, slides, I'm skipping massively at this point um, to slide uh, seven. In verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, Jesus, as well as referring to himself as the way, he was also referred to as the word. The Gospel of John famously opens with the words, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's talking about Jesus. So why did John call Jesus the word? Well, in the Jewish culture of that time, it would have been massively significant. And in Genesis, we read of uh, God speaking all things into existence. And the word of God is several times described in the Old Testament as the one sent forth from God to accomplish a mission and to return to him afterwards. So just think about that. In the Old Testament, it talks about the word of God being sent from God and on a mission to return to him. I wonder what that mission was. Hmm? So Isaiah 55 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear fruit and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word, which goes forth from my mouth, not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's talking about Jesus. We can translate that to Jesus is a lamp to my feet. Jesus is a light to my path. And how can I be sure about that? Well, it's the very words of Jesus himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is where I want to come into land. So in um, Victorian times, there was a very famous 
pre-Raphaelite painter called Holman Hunt. And he painted a picture. This is slide eight for those of you at the back. Very famous picture. I just want you to take a few seconds to just look at it. Okay, It's quite a um, stylized picture and it shows Jesus. But there's some things going on there as well. So just, just have a think about what you're seeing there. What's he doing? What's he holding? What's the general sort of picture that that is portraying? Holman Hunt painted that um, in about 1851. And he said that it represents Jesus knocking on a overgrown and long unopened door. And he said that he got the inspiration for that from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And what Holman Hunt said was, he said, I painted the picture with what I thought, unworthy though I was, to be a divine command and not simply a good subject. The door in the painting has no handle and can therefore be opened only from the inside, representing the obstinately shut mind. Now, I'll make a confession here. Probably because I'm a lawyer and I represented a lot of people charged with crimes when I was younger, one of my favourite programmes is called Police Interceptors. And what happens at some point in Police Interceptors is the police get a tip-off that there are drugs or weapons in a house somewhere. So they put all their gear on, they go to the house, and they have what they call the big red key. The big red key is a huge bit of metal with handles on, and the biggest person in the police force shouts, Open the door! Oh, please! And nothing happens. So he goes, bang! And the door flies in, and the police rush in, grab the person shouting, don't move, put your arms on your back! And they take them off to the police station. That is one way of dealing with the obstinately shut mind. Okay? But that isn't Jesus' way. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door from the inside, he will come in. He's not going to smash the door down. Okay? It's up to the person inside. Jesus isn't shouting. He's just asking. So if you want Jesus to change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, if you want him to liberate you so you can experience great joy, then you need to know he's waiting for the invitation. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, that verse, although I spent quite some time on that, that verse isn't ultimately directed at people 
who aren't Christians. That verse is actually directed at the church. The context of this passage in Revelation, it's talking about a lukewarm church. It's neither hot nor cold, it's lukewarm. And at that time, in that area, there were hot springs. So the the, the people reading this would understand what it means to compare something that's hot with something that's lukewarm. And it's a lukewarm church full of lukewarm Christians. And what Jesus is saying, if you think you've got it all figured out, then watch out. The context is that they're a very materialistic church. They've got this full sense of security in what they possess. And Jesus uses these words. He says that these people are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are disconnected from the vine and they are withering. Okay, this is a church. And what what he says is the consequences of this. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but very occasionally, if I'm sitting in the garden with a cold drink or orange juice or <coughs> a glass of beer, um, occasionally you take a drink and you think, oh, I've got quite a more. What have you got? And the next thing you do is you... <coughs> That's what this is talking about. And this is Jesus talking about his church. And you might think... But Jesus is my friend. He's my amigo. He's my ami. He's my dude. He's my homie. He's my panyao. Apologies for anyone who speaks Cantonese. Um, he's my biffle. He's my best friend for life. Why is he talking like this? I don't like it. Make it stop. Well, he's talking like this because it's his church. Let me tell you a story. Uh, um, I don't know if you've ever been out somewhere and got home and found you haven't got a key in your pocket. It, it never happens to me because as I'm leaving the house, my wife always says, Len, have you got the key? And I was going, of course I've got the key. I never leave the house without the key. Of course I've got the key. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I went out. When I came back, Anne wasn't in. You know, it's, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Yeah. Where's the key? No key. So I went round to the back gate, very tall gate, put the wheelie bin next to the gate, couldn't get onto the wheelie bin, went and borrowed a stepladder from a friend of mine who was painting the house, got up the stepladder, onto the wheelie bin, reached over. I'd put the bolt down so nobody could unlock it from the other side. At that point, my neighbour came out and went, <gasps> I said, it's all right, don't panic. I just need, couldn't have something I can... Un-. So, got the gate unlocked. Everything's fine. Now, I know from experience that sooner or later, that story is going to come out and Anne's going to find out about the no-key scenario. So, I had to fess up to that. Imagine if I'd got back... And Anne was in the house, 
and she wouldn't let me in. And I'm going, Anne, let me in. This is what is going on here. Jesus is standing at the door of his church and they won't let him in. Just think about this. This is the creator of the universe. This is the Alpha and Omega we've been hearing about this morning. This is the one who has the keys of heaven and hell in his hand and he can't get into his church. It's terrible. So, you know, I'm feeling passionate. How much more is he feeling passionate? It's his church. That's why the word of God is so fundamental to us. That's why the grace of God is so fundamental to us. That's why we want to hear from the spirit of God. It's fundamental to us. Now, we, we haven't got it all right. But we want to make sure that we are very open about what we believe and why we believe it. And we are always welcome for people to push back and say, well, the church I was at didn't believe that. Why do you believe that? We're very open for that. But ultimately... Imagine Jesus being locked out of his own church. So I'm just going to ask the band to, to come back. And I, I, just want to, I just want to ask you, if, if, if I've been speaking this morning and you've been thinking, I didn't really know why I was here this morning. I, it was, seemed to me like a strange set of coincidences. I met someone, they mentioned the church, I looked on the website and thought, oh, I've got a spare couple of hours. You know, there might be a dozen different reasons as to how you arrived here this morning and you couldn't call yourself a Christian because you haven't had that experience of knowing that Jesus died for your sins. If, that, if, if you are here this morning and you believe what I've said, that Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you, then this is your opportunity to do something about that. And I tell you, when the Bible talks about being blessed, you have no idea what that means. Every earthly pleasure you have ever experienced is nothing compared to having a relationship with Jesus. So that, that represents, I think, one group of people here. But the other group is everyone else so I just want to ask you are you are you in any sense falling into the category that Jesus is talking about here materialistic giving yourself a false sense of security just taking your eye off the ball going your own way rather than God's ways we need to be absolutely focusing on that ball, on the word of God. Jesus is the way. No one comes to the Father except through him. We need to be focusing on that, every one of us. Because as elders, of course we have a responsibility to govern the church. But everyone else here has a responsibility to follow what God is saying. So no one, no one here, as it were, escapes we're all, we've all got something to learn from this psalm and these verses. So I'm going to ask the band to um, play the final song and I'm going to ask us to stand 
and really do business with God. This is Jesus' church. And he wants it back. And there are churches up and down this country where he's knocking on the door. There are churches that don't believe in the Trinity. There are churches that don't believe in the Holy Spirit. There are churches that will pick and choose what they believe the Word of God says. We never want to be one of those churches. Amen.